This being the first Sunday of the month, it's time to address the next uh, of the ten parami on the list of of the ten virtues, the ten forces of transformation that we've been talking about for the last few months. And this month it is Aditana parami or uh, determination. Aditana, we translate it as determination or or vows or resolution. And um, really uh, profoundly important force that we can cultivate. But first I'd like to uh, perhaps recap a little bit on what we've considered over the last few months, the, the previous three parami. Um, because uh, one of the exercises that I'm enjoying engaging in is seeing how these, these virtues, these forces uh, relate to each other and and I don't think it's coincidental the way that they are uh, sequenced. And the first one being dana parami or generosity, and and seeing how the if we cultivate it, if we actually work on generosity, to see how effectively this this creates a or relativizes the process of self-referencing. Generosity is the antithesis of self-referencing. Generosity helps us, it helps soften the stranglehold of ego. Mm. You clearly, you, you, you meet people who are generous and it's clearly not the case that they're egomaniacs. Somebody who's generous has is, is got a sense of being available in relationship and, and cultivating dana, cultivating generosity is very much to do with establishing ourselves in uh, right relationship. And you, you can see how um, the most natural thing that if there's been some, for instance, some, um, some fracture in a relationship, uh, how, do you, how do you go about mending a, a broken relationship? You offer something. Uh, it's a natural instinct. Or you see the way children, the way children want to make friends with somebody, a little child wants to make a friend with somebody else, goes and gives them something. It's the most natural thing. By giving, what happens is our heart opens a little bit and there's a possibility of relationship. Now, if we embark on the spiritual life with the rigid holding to ourselves, taking ourselves too seriously, well, actually, it's very dangerous because we can move on to other aspects of the spiritual life and build up energy and, and this contraction of, of, of selfishness actually, uh, as I said, becomes very dangerous. And so we need to, from the very beginning, we need to uh, not take ourselves too seriously in the spiritual life. If we do, we can break. So um, the cultivation of dana, of generosity, softens, relativizes uh, our relationship with ego and puts us in right relationship with others. 
You see how we perform ritually the uh, offering of candles and incense and flowers to the shrine. This, this offering establishes us in a relationship with the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. You know, we have the symbols of the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha and we make offerings. Of course, we don't expect this bronze image up here to you know, be getting off on what we're doing down here, but it symbolizes the principle of wisdom and, and compassion in our lives. And by making offerings to it, we actually open ourselves up in relationship to these principles. So, as I say, I don't think it's at all coincidental that the first of the ten baramis is dana barami, is the foundation of, of all spiritual practice. And then the second one is sila barami, or the cultivation of sila, the cultivation of impeccability, the cultivation of integrity. And the effect of that, as uh, I'm sure all of us would have seen in our lives, that if we do... Uh, live our lives, our actions of body and speech and mind, in keeping with harmlessness, then what comes naturally from that is a sense of self-respect. Again, if we're in too much of a hurry to build up spiritual energy and build up concentration and 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 so on, then uh, and, but yet we don't have a sense of self-respect. Well, the consequences can be. Very unfortunate. Well, cultivation of sila, the cultivation of impeccability, what it does is it establishes us in a connection with fundamental goodness, with basic goodness. We can be, we can be living good lives and yet still be miserable and depressed. Uh, I've seen this happen in, in, for, in the monastic life. You know, people can be making a huge amount of effort to cultivate goodness. Uh, it takes a lot of effort to live this life. And yet, because they're not conscious of it, because they're not really consciously cultivating sila, they're not mindfully cultivating precepts, they're just perhaps keeping rules because they feel they have to or whatever. It's not really wisely, mindfully cultivating uh, impeccability. Uh, as a result, they don't really benefit from all the effort that they're making. That's really unfortunate. So part of the uh, cultivation of sila is this wise reflection, mindful reflection on our intention. You know, we're intending to refrain from doing things that are hurtful or dishonest or compromising integrity. And if we're mindful of that, what we're doing is we're building this wonderful connection with goodness. Uh, you probably heard me talk about before the practice of, of uh, in the, the tradition and the forest monks and meditation monks living in the forest and sometimes off on their own and yeah, pretty frightening out there. You don't know where you're going to get your food from and uh, if you're out in Asia, you're surrounded by all sorts of creepy, crawly things and sometimes you know, creepy, crawly big things, you know, monsters and snakes and tigers and bears and pigs and whatever. And not like Chitter's forest where it's you know, pretty benign, but, but uh, if you can be out there in the jungles and anyway, whatever happens, uh, you suddenly be taken over by tremendous fear. What's the medicine for that? What do you reflect on? You reflect on your precepts. You reflect on your, your commitment to intentional goodness. Yeah, so this is part of the cultivation of, of uh, sila, of impeccability, is a wise reflection on our commitment to cultivating the intention to do that which is harmless, the intention to do that which is good by way of body and speech and eventually by mind. And by doing that, what happens is we, as I said, we, we form a connection, a direct, direct connection 
with inner goodness, with basic goodness, which again is, is very, very important. If we're talking about transforming the wild, unruly nature of our hearts, which is what we are talking about in Buddhism, we're not just talking about reading a few books and, and equipping ourselves with some fancy ideas. Sometimes people do approach, uh, approach practice with that uh, idea that the spiritual life is just getting the right information. Well, the right information, that's, that's virtual dhamma. That's virtual reality. Yeah, it's got its place. It's good. It's important that we have a, a concept of the path. But just as the, the concept of, of medicine is not necessarily going to heal anybody, and even the first efforts at applying medicine is not going to necessarily heal anybody, it's only with a real integration and an understanding of the application of the concepts of practice that we might be able to start healing people. So when we come to practice, it's not just uh, having good information uh, about practice, but really applying ourselves to a, a mindful reflection on our motivation as we're doing it. A, we, we have these wild passions flare up. That's the moment of practice. You know, when you're angry or afraid, it doesn't matter how much Abhidhamma you understand, it's probably not going to do you much good. You might have a very sophisticated understanding of all the jata seekers, all the, the intentional mind moments, and, 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 and be very, very clever in, in your interpretation and analysis of the Paticca Samapada. But when you're angry, what do you do? You get all hot and bothered and you say something hurtful, or you thump somebody, or you know, maybe, worst case scenario, you maybe go and top yourself. Understanding about Dhamma is not the same thing as understanding Dhamma. And so uh, to have a, a real connection with our own sense of a commitment to goodness is, is profoundly important when we're talking about pro transformation of the passions. Yeah, we're talking about transforming this wild, unruly nature, this anger, this greed, this fear, this confusion that troubles us. Uh, and, and so to have a very strong, direct connection with our goodness... And, is essential. And then the third of the paramis that we discussed before was nekama barami or the cultivation of renunciation, which, as I pointed out, people regrettably uh, think is, is just bad news and it's only for those who kind of got a, a morbid take on life that they want to renounce all the fun. Uh, that, that, of course, is not the Buddhist presentation of it. Uh, nekama Parami or the cultivation of renunciation is our way of actually generating intensity. Yeah. If we're going to transform this wild and ruling nature, we need intensity, we need energy, we need tremendous energy. Yeah. And how do we generate it? Well, one of the best ways is actually cutting off some of the, the uh, distractions of our life, like eating too much and talking too much and sleeping too much and, and, and all the other too much of our life. So we choose to renounce those things. And what happens when we say no to our, our uh, habits of distraction, what happens is this energy starts to build up. And maybe it's experienced as frustration or as anger or as greed, whatever, but it's energy and it's good energy. It's heart energy. And this is the stuff that we work with in our practice. But it's very important that, of course, we approach it with great care. We don't want to take on too much renunciation practice or build up too much pressure unless we already well established ourselves in right relationship and, and with this connection with 
uh, inherent uh, basic goodness in life. If we're too afraid to uh, let the energy build up, well, that's also not going to uh, get us very far. And Probably many of you will have heard me uh, talk about my, my favourite metaphor for the path of spiritual practice, and that's uh, the uh, transformation of carbon dust into diamonds. Carbon dust symbolising our, our raw, unruly nature, the, the wild anger and greed and confusion that we all have. This is heart energy in itself. It's just energy. But it's wild, it's untamed, it's untrained, it's unruly, it's dangerous. It hurts us, it burns us. We don't want to get rid of it, but it has to be transformed. And so, as with carbon dust, which is not of much value really, how do you transform that into diamonds, which is very valuable, can cut through things? The process of transformation requires a tremendous build-up of energy. Nekama barami. You know, really letting the energy build up and pressure, heat and pressure. But also what's really noteworthy, and this takes us on to our, our fourth parami, which is Aditana barami, which is the container. And this is what Aditana barami does, is it secures the container. If you have the carbon dust, you have the raw material, you have the heat, you have the pressure, you know, all this builds up, but you don't have a good container, well, you can end it with a serious mess. And, and this does happen in the spiritual life. People have, they let the heat build up and the energy build up, but they don't have a resolve, they don't have determination, or what my, my father used to, my father used to call it stickability. Son, that's what you need, stickability. I didn't, um, as I remember it, I didn't really appreciate it when my father used to point out, you know, stickability, Keith, that's what you need. Um, and I, 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 I don't know. I, I think, I think he was onto a good thing, but maybe what was lacking was was a, was a wisdom perspective of stickability. You know, sometimes these virtues of these these forces of transformation, into you know, determination, renunciation, impeccability, generosity, and all the rest of them, you know, sometimes that presented as ends in themselves. You know what you're supposed to do is become good. Well, I don't know, whenever anybody told me I was supposed to become good, I just became bad. I just rebelled and I, I went off. I, I did, I went off quite a bit there for a while. But fortunately, when I came across the Buddha's teachings, that gave me the, the intelligence of cultivating goodness. These forces are intelligent. These, if you don't have impeccability in place, you're not going to have self-respect. I mean, we've all experienced that. You compromise integrity, we lose self-respect. You know, and the energy leaks out. All the goodness of our life is, is wasted. If we don't have a secure container, if we don't have resolve, if we don't have determination, if we don't say we're going to do something and know we're going to stick with it, then all the good effort we make is not really going to take us anywhere. You know, we might be being good, but you know, rather in a disappointing way. So personally, I think the, uh, the wisdom of these virtues is, is really worth considering. That in this case, Aditana Barami or determination is, is something that we can cultivate. Mm-hmm. But in some traditions, it's called vow power, making vows. You know, I mean, we don't hear people talking about it very much these days, but as people who are committed to practice, I think we do need to think about it. What does it mean to be a, a man of your word or a woman of your word? You know, I, I, 
I know I always find it very disappointing when, uh, when perhaps it's because I'm a control freak and a bit fussy, but when somebody says that they're going to come at a certain time and they don't turn up and they don't let me know, my heart sort of sinks, really. You know, I, just, I think that's kind of sad. You feel like you don't trust. You know, if somebody says they're going to do something and they don't do it, or they do something different, you don't feel you can trust them. And Well, it's the same with vow power. If we don't know we can resolve to do something and stick to it, we don't really trust ourselves. And if we don't really trust ourselves, then our practice is not really going to deepen past a certain point. We may have great aspirations, profound, beautiful, sparkling aspirations. We may be able to speak about them in the most lucid, glorious, impressive way. Sparkling eyes and... And write poetry about our resolutions and so on. But if we can't say something and know we're going to stick to it, the chances are it's not really going to take. And so hopefully I'm presenting this in a way that doesn't sound too moralizing because, as with my, my good dad, it didn't really stick with me to be told, you know, stickability, that's what you need, boy. But we do need it. Yeah, we do really need it, that if the container is not secure, then as we build up the heat and the pressure, yeah, and then we address our greed, aversion, and delusion, the process can go wrong. And instead of actually fi- finding increased well-being and confidence and strength, we feel undermined and um, can be very uh, profoundly undermined, and sadly so. So what do we do about it? Well, we... Um, we recognize the wisdom of it. We delight in it when we see, when we see it. You know, um, I, I, was, I was just reflecting recently about you know, what is it that we as monks offer to the lay people? Well, I think one of these things is, is resolve, is determination, you know, commitment. I know when I've looked at my teachers, people have seen it to me, and I, there's something like the teachers I lived with, Ajahn Chah. You know, he... He realized his elevated degree of freedom many, many years ago. In fact, he said, you know, actually, I don't have to live by all these precepts personally in my own practice, but I resolve to live by them because it's helpful to others. There's even an example in the scriptures of where an arahant, fully enlightened monk, uh, decided he wasn't going to go to the recitation of the rule anymore the Patimoka rule, which we all monks have to go to every two weeks. If there's uh, four or more monks in the monastery, they have to sit down and listen to somebody reciting the 227 rules together. And here we're very fortunate. We have several monks who can do it. Ajahn Abhinanda can do it. Ajahn Suang can do it. Tanyanavi Suti can do it. So we do. Every two weeks we sit and one of these monks uh, recites the rules. Well, on this occasion, in the time of the Buddha, there's this one fully enlightened being not capable of having an impure motivation. He decided that he didn't want to go to the recitation of the rule because he wasn't capable of having, making any moral mistakes. But the Buddha, with his wisdom, could read his mind and went off and really told him, you know, that's, 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 that's inappropriate. You know, if you don't go to the rule, actually that sets a bad example for others. And, and so looking at those who, who do resolve uh, to live a good life for the benefit of others. And I, I do think, as I was saying, that this is something that we hopefully offer to the lay community as an example of, of commitment and determination. And, and so when we see it in others, 
to take delight in it, to reflect on it. Oh, right. It takes, it takes effort to maintain commitment. Yeah. Or on Friday, 24 million Britons saw Kate and William make a vow to be a happy, harmonious, loving couple together. Now, what a beautiful thing to celebrate. Yeah, you actually, to see somebody making a commitment with sincerity, yeah, they know it could go wrong. I mean, anybody's getting married, unless you're really stupid. You know that it can go wrong and there'll be consequences, and yet they enter into this commitment. And so when we see commitment, uh, resolution uh, being made by others, we can take delight in it. Also, in our own lives, we can, we can decide to make a practice of it. When I was talking about uh, Nekama Barami, I pointed out how approaching the cultivation of these Baramis in a modest way is a wise thing to do. You know, developing renunciation, not being too grand, you know, like reading the suttas. If you read the suttas too much, you, the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree and he, he resolved, I'm going to sit here until my bones break and my blood dries up. And, and you know, there have been a few... Uh, extreme Westerners who, who felt they were ready to make the same sort of resolution and you know, probably they just ruined their knees and ended up in hospital uh, rather than actually got enlightened. So when we approach cultivation of these, uh, these, these, uh, these virtues, these forces of transformation, it's wise to do it in a modest way. So with Aditana Barami, with learning how to make a vow, make a determination, and make a resolution and stick to it, we do little things. You don't have to tell anybody else about it. It can be so small that it's even embarrassing. You know, when I was a, a junior monk, uh, there was the encouragement every, every rains retreat, the wasa period, which starts around June, July each year, for three months to cultivate Aditana Barami, to make these determinations and, and uh, for the three months. And so... I decided, well, what can I determine and know that I can keep? And some of the monks were determining, well, I'm going to practice Nisijik Wata. I'm not going to lie down for the next three months. And I thought, well, it's pretty good, but I can't do that. You know, I can barely sit for, for 30 minutes you know, without my knees becoming impossible. So I can't do that one. So after thinking about it carefully, what I decided was that I can actually sweep out my kuti every day. I can clean my hut every day. I'll determine that. For the next three months, I'm going to clean my hut every day, sweep it out, which wasn't in my nature to do, actually. I could let it go quite a while before I cleaned it out and didn't sweep it out. And so I determined that, and I kept it. I kept it for three months. There were some times when I actually was in bed before I remembered, oops, I haven't cleaned my cootie today. And so, no, this is for the purpose of cultivating the perception that I can make a vow, make a determination, make a resolution and keep it. I need this perception. So as insignificant as it really is from one level, I'd get up, get out of bed and go and sweep my cootie and then go back to bed again and feel a little bit silly on one level. But at the end of the three months, I felt good. And then you realise if there was an accumulation, you can take on bigger tasks. Yeah, it's like if you... Um, You've got a broken arm, and, and in other words, you know, you, you're not very, you haven't got much strength in that limb, and then it starts to heal. Well, you start to lift things little by little. You lift things very lightly to start off with, and then you start to lift heavier things until you can lift really heavy things. 
Oh, so it is. If we're not very strong in this particular limb, this particular faculty, this, this particular virtue of, of determination, well then we don't try to lift too much. You know, we start with small things, modest things. And things that we know we can succeed at, keep to, and then take on something a little bit more difficult. And if you want to tell anybody, well, well tell somebody who's not going to be impressed. You don't want to, you don't want to tell somebody who's impressed you, what you're doing. And, um, and, and, and don't be too grand. I, I can think about uh, when, uh, again, when I was living in Thailand and Ajahn Chah was visiting our monastery and a young monk, a newly ordained young monk, asked me to translate for him. And he, uh, he, he was telling Ajahn Chah how, how this was his first pansai, his first wasa, and, and Lumpur, I would like to talk about making determinations for the pansai. And, and, and Lumpur is listening and says, well, I'm, I'm determining to wear the three robes and, and not to wear anything extra, and I'm determining to eat only out of my bowl, not to eat out of my bowl lid or any other bowls. I'm determining to eat. Only food I get on alms food, and when I'm on alms round outside the monastery, nothing given in the monastery, and so on. And there's these various, uh, uh, what are called, uh, uh, tudangawata, or renunciate practices that the Buddha encouraged. Uh, and so he's telling Ajahn Chah uh, all these different uh, renunciate practices that he's going to determine. I'm going to determine this, determine that. And Lumpur listened, Lumpur Chah listened, and he said, well... He said, I think instead of determining all those things, I recommend you determine one thing. Yeah, just determine one thing. Determine that whatever happens, you're going to keep practicing. Because there can also be this game we play with ourselves. Well, I'll determine this and I'll determine that. And I, 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 you know, getting puffed up on our determinations and our vow power, we can get, you know, a little inflated by it. So the wisdom of somebody who knows the path, the wisdom of somebody who's experienced the benefit of the path, like Ajahn Chah, he, he doesn't say, well, determinations are not important. He knows determinations are important. He himself made lots of determinations, lots of resolutions. Yeah. But to make wise resolutions, skillful resolutions, and one of the most skillful resolutions is to, whatever happens, I'm going to keep practicing. Yeah. So if we make a resolution to keep to it, to really try and keep to it. That same young monk, um, some years later, when he wasn't so young anymore, uh, in fact, it was uh, around the time that, that Lumpo Cha was dying, and none of us thought that, that he was going to live much longer, you know, maybe a few more months, maybe another year, maybe two years maximum. So this young monk had a, had a great love and great devotion to Lumpo Cha, and so he made the determination quite privately. He said, while Lumpur Chao is still alive, I'm going to practice Nisijikwata. I'm not going to lie down anymore. I'm not going to lie down to sleep. And I dedicate the punya, the merit of this determination, this vow, to my teacher out of gratitude. Well, actually, as it happened, he lived for many years after that. And I'm not sure. It might have even been as much as nine years. Uh, do you happen to remember, Ajahn Punya, how many years it was? Yeah, it was something like nine years. And he kept to it. He made it. He made a vow uh, as an offering to his teacher. And he kept to it. He didn't lie down for nine years or however long it was. You know, he didn't tell, I don't think he told anybody until it was over, uh, which is a wise move. And the other aspect of it, of this practice, which I just mentioned, is to 
contemplate. I mean, it may not come to us immediately, but to contemplate the the practice of dedicating the punya, dedicating the the, the, the power that's generated by making resolutions, to dedicate this to uh, to other beings. This force of dedication, the, the actual. This is also an aspect of aditana, you know, where you, you you dedicate the punya. Uh, many Westerners dismiss this whole area of practice because it reeks of of spiritual materialism. Understandable. We've, we've seen enough of that abuse of spiritual exercises to not want to uh, get too close to it. But on the other hand, the Buddha talked about it. It's a reality. Punya is a reality. Punya is the wholesome potential that's generated by following good intentions. When there's a good intention, there is wholesome potential generated. In Pali, it's it's called punya. Loosely translated in English as merit, which kind of reminds you of girl guides or something that's not necessarily very lofty. But but punya is a very lofty quality. And, And we don't have to get caught up in ideas of we don't have to get lost in, in spiritual materialism to recognize the value of this. You know, it's a, just as in everyday life, you want to, for instance, start a business, you need a certain amount of capital. It doesn't matter how good your idea is. If you don't have the capital, you're not going to be able to start a business. You're not going to get very far. Well, if we, if we want to bring transformation of these wild, unruly passions. We're not just talking about accumulating nice ideas of you know, accepting another clever philosophy. That's not going to do much good. We, you know, but the actual capacity of, to be contained, to be patient when we need to be patient, to be kind when we're impulses to be angry, to be reflective when we're just confused and want to run away from situations. If we want to really engage in this degree of, of transformation, we really need to be able to apply these principles in our daily life, you know, not, just, not just to think about them. And so uh, considering the place of punya, you know, to, to uh, see that when we do make a resolution and we keep to it, there is a build-up of wholesome potential. That, that wholesome potential is there ready to support the process of transformation. And, and we can skillfully and wisely make a determination. You know, um, it sounds a lot like prayer, and personally I'm not troubled by that. I think um, you know, people sometimes go on marches and, and wave banners and make a lot of noise about how they don't like this war and that war and, and this malpractice and that malpractice, but uh, how much real energy is behind that? You know, a little indignation has got energy, but... How skillful and, and, and wholesome and productive is that really? Sometimes it may be the case that making a determination to renounce something that's a little difficult to renounce and to really stick by that resolution, by that vow, by that determination, and then making the determination, may the goodness of my effort be dedicated to peace yeah. and not to dismiss this aspect of spiritual life and just because it, it perhaps sounds uh, familiar with, with the, the prayer of other spiritual disciplines that we're not altogether comfortable with, doesn't mean to say there's not a true principle there. Yeah, there, there. There can be. Well, I would say there is a true principle in there. And this, this aspect of aditana is something really worth reflecting on.
Yeah, where you engage this energy of conscious well-wishing, conscious good intention, conscious resolve, and then point it in a certain direction. And I would say there's actually tremendous power in that and something really worth developing, worth reflecting on. So for this evening, thank you very much for your attention.